of the North Woods in a way few other people seem to understand. The last time I'd visited his house, I'd come upon him stripped to the waist, chopping firewood in the backyard. The glittering late autumn sunlight made his tanned arms and chest look like they'd been cast in bronze. Billy usually wore his long hair in a braid, but he'd let it loose for the afternoon and my first impression when I saw him wailing away with an axe on a defenseless hunk of oak was of a Viking marauder driven into a frenzy by vengeful gods. Every law officer understands the danger of making quick assumptions, but this truism applied to my new friend in spades. His sheer size and resemblance to the mighty Thor gave him a dangerous aura, especially when you caught sight of the K-bar knife strapped to his thigh. In a crowded roadhouse, Billy could reduce the loudest biker to silence just by fixing him with a pale, cold stare. But I had seen tears in those same eyes while he watched his kids chasing each other like puppies around the picnic table, and his soft-hipped wife, Amy, served us Budweiser tall boys. I'm a fortunate man, Mike, he'd said. Yes, you are. Sometimes I forget, though. You've got five reminders right there, I said, indicating his wife and children. The blonde kids were all under the age of six, dirty-faced and confusingly similar in appearance. Billy called them the Cronklets. I wish I could do better for them, Billy said in his thick down-east accent. A man should be able to provide for his family. Something's wrong with him if he can't. I was between girlfriends myself, and the thought of a family of my own seemed like one of those empty promises doctors offer at the bedsides of dying patients. There's nothing wrong with you, Billy. My friend smiled, trying to humor me, but I knew he was unable to accept my assurances. I couldn't really blame him. I'd grown up poor myself and understood what it was like to feel that constant pressing weight of unpaid bills and empty cupboards. Before my mother grew sick of my father's abuse and alcoholism and filed for divorce, we'd lived a lot like the Crocs, holed up in drafty cabins we couldn't afford to heat and wearing second-hand clothing scavenged from boxes and church basements. Just that week, I'd seen Amy Cronk at the supermarket and Machias paying for her groceries with one of those EBT food stamp cards. And I suspected that Billy might still occasionally poach some deer for the freezer. He and I had our own don't-ask-don't-tell policy. It had taken him six months to land another job after Joe Brogan fired him. How's work going? I asked as we stood over the sizzling grill, turning venison hamburgers. It's different. I rubbed my newly barbered crew cut. What do you mean? He lowered his voice so Amy wouldn't hear. Yesterday, Mrs. Morse made me open a package that came in the mail. She thought it might be a pipe bomb or something. I told her we should dip it in the bathtub first just to be safe. What was inside? An old book a friend bought at some auction, paintings of birds by that guy Audubon. It got kind of waterlogged. Mrs. Morse threatened to deduct the cost from my paycheck. She pretended she was joking, but uh, you could never tell with her. I swatted a noceum that had alighted behind my ear. She didn't recognize her friend's handwriting on the package? Mrs. Morse said it looked suspicious.
I can't say I blame her for being paranoid. Elizabeth Betty Morse had built a log mansion on 6th Machias Lake, on a pine-shaded point where a historic sporting camp had stood for more than a century, and now she required a considerable domestic staff to help run the property. I'm not sure what Billy's official job title was, but he seemed to function as her personal driver, handyman, and forester, his duties dictated by the needs of the day. Increasingly, he also served as her bodyguard. Betty Morse needed guarding. She was a former hippie who had started a small business selling dried herbs at farmers' markets. In time, she hired some local women to help produce various types of organic teas, which she peddled to natural food stores, first in Maine and then around the country. Eventually, she opened a factory somewhere out of state, down south, I think.